0: So excited to see you today. I've been looking forward to this moment all week long. You might say, I'm ready to get the show on the road. After all, that is the title of our summer series. So you can be rest assured that I'm gonna bring it today. The question though is, are you going to bring it? Come on, make some noise, somebody. If you're excited to be here in God's house this morning, I'm glad you're here. I do have a question for you right out from the get-go, Let's get some group participation going. Raise your hand. If your aim in life is to be average, middle of the pack, not hot, not cold, just average, any takers. I thought that'd be the case. That's a pretty absurd thing to ask, isn't it? Like who would actually admit that? Yes, I just want to be average. That's me right here. Come on, sweetie, look what you married. Uh, No one's saying that. But even though we don't chart a course setting out to seize mediocrity, it's possible we might find ourselves there. Maybe not even on purpose. I mean, that's not what we set out for, but it's possible we actually find ourselves settling for it. But no one does that on purpose. No one sets out to be average. Let me give you a couple examples. Raise your hand if you're a business owner. Anybody? Business owners, okay. Let me ask you this. When you launched your business, did you set out with the expectation to teeter between success and failure? Can you imagine the banner flying above your establishment that says, "We provide quality customer service that's just below your expectations"? <laughs> no, that'd be absurd, preposterous, even. How about this? Raise your hand if you're a, a married. You're a married couple. Come on, you better give a shout of triumph, make some, make a boom for your groom, show some pride for your bride. Try to look out for you. Otherwise, you might be drafted into the NFL, They're not for long. You know what I'm saying? If you're married, you know how it began. I've had the privilege of officiating a lot of weddings, probably some people that are sitting in this audience today. I've had the privilege of of officiating that wedding. And prior to the wedding, we do some premarital counseling, at least most of the time we do. And in that premarital counseling, one of the things that I ask them amongst many questions, because really what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make sure that they are going to the same place at the same pace. It's called being equally yoked. Well, one of the questions I ask them is, can I just tell me a description of the vision for your life? I have never, not once, not even yet, when that starry-eyed young couple is asked that question, they've never looked at each other. Yeah, Yeah, okay. You know, we've been thinking about it a lot, and we're hoping that by year five, we go from soulmates to roommates. Nobody's saying that. Nobody intentionally charts a course for mediocrity, but for various reasons, some of which we'll unpack today, we end up finding ourselves settling for less, but it doesn't have to be that way. And today we're going to tackle the idea that we don't need to settle for less than God's best. I would suggest to you that all of us are most susceptible for settling for less in our faith in God, because he's out of sight. And oftentimes out of sight means out out of mind. It doesn't have to be that way though. We don't have to settle for less when it comes to our faith. And if we do, it's really a tragedy. Because Jesus came so we can have abundant life. If you remember in Proverbs 4.23, the word says that we are to guard our hearts above all else, for from it flows all the matters of life. That's my values, my priorities, the career path I choose, how I treat my spouse, how I treat my friends, how I treat my enemies, how I raise my kids. Literally everything is gonna spring forth out of our faith in God or lack thereof. And so the consequences are incalculable if we choose to abandon our faith, or at least maybe even worse, settle for mediocrity. It doesn't have to be that way. Choosing to settle for lax, daisical faith is the exact opposite of God's best for our lives. That's why I've come today to sound the alarm and give us all the advice that we should not settle for less than God's best. So would you would you turn to somebody sitting next to you and you just stare them in the eyes, wait till it gets a little bit awkward, and now say, don't settle. Now, if you happen to be sitting next to someone you've settled for, I'm sorry for that awkwardness right there. Think about this. Jesus Christ did not come from heaven to earth, live as an infant, although he was infinite, to learn to crawl, walk, Go through those awkward middle school years. Dine with sinners. Teach us the mysteries of God. Bring hope to the hopeless. Heal the sick. Restore sight to the blind. Tell the lepers to get up and walk again. Go to a cross to make the payment for our sins. Be buried on the third day. Raise again so that we may repent of our sins. Trust Jesus. Receive salvation. And then live in mediocrity. Woo! Jesus says, I've come so that you may have abundant life, not an average life. So why would we settle? Why would we even consider it? Don't settle. God has called us into victory, not mediocrity. There's a lot of things that can cause us to sit back and just be complacent with our faith. And today we're gonna to talk about a couple of those. You might think these are roadblocks that are getting in our way. They're barriers that prevent us from reach our, reaching our potential, living a life of purpose, and taking possession of God's promises. We're, we're gonna expose them today. Here's how we can live an abundant life. When Jesus says abundant life, he's not really talking about stuff and status, although he very well might do that. He, 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 I mean, this is, the, this is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. This is the God who who, tells the sun to rise and the sun to set. He can certainly give you a promotion. He can definitely give you a few more bucks in your wallet. But when he says he's come to give us abundant life, he's really talking about more meaningful, deeper success and satisfaction that comes from knowing God truly, listening to his voice, and following him fully. Now, listen to me. I know as I say that, that you and I both see that road as a road less traveled. If you're taking notes, you just scribble that on down. It's a road less traveled. That's the title of my message today. It's a road less traveled, but it's still one that God has called us to walk down nonetheless. Now bear in mind, when you walk down the road to abundant life of pursuing God, of knowing him fully, trusting him, following him with all that you are, just know there are going to be some roadblocks that we are going to have to break through. And today, as we talk about how we can enter our promised land, promised land, not a physical place. I'm talking about a spiritual place of abundance, of overflowing. When we take possession of all of God's promises that he has for our lives, just know we are going to let the Israelites be our tutor. They're gonna help us out. We're gonna learn from their mistakes, hopefully. Now, this is actually, if you might think about it this way, this is like a sequel to Pastor Bill's sermon last week. Now I say that because we all know what they say about sequels. What is it? They're not as good as the first one. So low your expectations today, all right? part two. We are going to be excavating the text of Numbers 13. But before I do that, I want to catch you up to speed in case you weren't here last week. Maybe you're familiar with the stories. This will just be a review for you. But prior to us arriving in Numbers 13, it's important to remember that the nation of Israel, they have been slaves for over 400 years in Egypt. And they cry out to God, God, we need you. Send a deliverer. And how many of you know that God hears your prayers. And when you're in trouble and you reach out to God, he hears you. I want to encourage you, that if you're in a tough spot right now, and you've been crying out to God for help, that his help, although it may be delayed, is not deterred. His timing is perfect, he can be trust, trusted. Help is on the way. I lift my eyes up, Psalm 121 says, because that's where my help comes from. So they say, Lord, please send a deliverer. And God tells Moses, who had a dirty past of his own, which tells me that it doesn't matter what you have done, you are not disqualified from experiencing abundant life. So God tells Moses, you go into into Egypt and you tell Pharaoh to let my people go. So Moses does. And if you remember Pharaoh, he's not so keen on the idea of letting a free labor force of over a million people go so easily. And so he says, "Nope." But God is not easily dissuaded, but he's really great at persuading. So he sends some persuasive devices known as plagues. And by the 10th plague, Pharaoh begrudgingly changes his mind. And he lets the Israelites leave and not even empty handed. This is incredible. If you read it, it says that God tells the nation of Israel, once Pharaoh says you can go, you go to all the Egyptian neighbors and just say, God told me you're going to give me some stuff like gold and silver. I don't know. And the, and the Egyptians are just handing over their possessions to Israelites. Here's what that tells me. It says, never leave a broken situation empty-handed. Learn something from the tough times that you're in. So they're carrying with them all their stuff this gold and silver. They're, they're, I mean, my goodness, they're carrying their kids. Can you imagine that? Traveling in the wilderness with all, all your kiddos. They're traveling towards the promised land. But wouldn't you know it? Once they leave bondage... They are faced with a barrier. How many of you know that once you say yes to Jesus and you take a step in faith, you are going to run into some foes? So there they are, the Red Sea. When there seems to be no way, God provides a way. And so he tells Moses, you just lift up that staff. Lift it up and watch me work. So he parts the Red Sea and the the nation of Israel, a couple million of them, they walk across the dry ground without even getting their Old Testament crocks dirty. And all the while they get to see the first aquarium in human history Look at that. And of course, Pharaoh, he had a bad case of buyer's remorse. And so he mobilizes his army and they, they chase after the nation of Israel. Oh no, we're bringing them back because it's hard to make these bricks by ourselves. And so they chase after the nation of Israel. But once Israel has been completely crossed the threshold of, of the sea and Pharaoh and his army goes into that threshold, God then covers them up with the water once and for all, shutting the prison door of their painful past. How many of you know? if you trust God that he puts an end to your past the new covenant in Jesus in Jeremiah 31 he says it's in the new covenant by the blood of my son that I will remember your sins no more listen to me the devil wants to keep you living in the past so you forego your future because he knows that if we keep living in the past then our past won't let us live today and so they move forward forgetting their past, leaving what was behind. And don't you know, they were excited. Can you imagine the jubilation? How ecstatic they were for what God had just done. They were slaves for 400 years and now they're free. Oh, you know, they were shouting. They were singing, they're high-fiving. They're doing those TikTok videos. This is amazing, incredible. But here's what I want you to know. Just because they were free, didn't mean they were fulfilled. See, anytime God leads us out of something, it's so he can lead us into something. God doesn't just wanna lead us out of bondage, he wants to lead us into a blessing. They've been separated from their past, they're headed toward their future. God wants to do the same for us. Listen, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, You've trusted Jesus as your Savior. He remembers your sins no more. But I'm here to tell you today, He is not satisfied with you only being saved. He he doesn't want you to receive Christ, receive salvation, and then sit on the sidelines between now and eternity. No, 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 no. That's called mediocrity. That's called lukewarm. In Revelation, Jesus says, He Spits that out of his mouth. He, he's not okay with that. He wants to take us from bondage into the blessing. So, the nation of Israel, they're moving toward their promised land. They're on the precipice of it. Abundance is nearby. And then, here's what God tells Moses He says, Moses, I want you to gather 12, 12 men, uh, leaders of leaders. I want each of the 12 tribes to nominate their best and finest. It's Lord of the Rings time, baby. And you are going to go do a reconnaissance mission in the Canaan, the the land of Canaan, the promised land. And you come back, and and I want all those 12 spies, I want them to give a report and and, and just tell like it is. Uh, Tell tell the blessings, tell about the barriers, tell, tell it all. And then once the report has been completely given, you don't hesitate. You prepare to advance and take it. There they are on the edge, the precipice of the promised land. Land of Canaan. I was teaching to Met kids a couple of years ago, and I was gonna tell them a story about the land of Canaan. And before I did, I asked them the question: hey, has anybody heard of Canaan? And if so, do you know what it is? Nobody raised their hand. Nothing. Except one boy. Ooh, He raised that hand up fast, and you can raise up that flag at Poncho's. Come on, somebody, if you know what I'm talking about. Man, Pepto Bismol stock's taking a hit since they closed those locations down. He looks at his friend, he goes, like, I got this, watch this. I said, yes, sir. What is Canaan? Canaan's where all the dogs live. And he high-fived his friend and put his hand down. It's not the land of Canine. It's the land of Canaan. There they are, about to go into the promised land. They send in those 12 spies. After 40 days, they come back and they deliver their report. Let's take a look and see what they had to say. They, that's the 12 spies, Numbers chapter 13, verse 27, gave Moses this account. We went in to the land to which you sent us, and ooh, it is. It's flowing with milk and honey. Come on, baby. Here is its fruit. I mean, it's just luscious. It's just overflowing with goodness. But, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, very large. We even saw the dun-dun-dun, descendants of Anak. They're living there. I like how Caleb responds. He's so calm, cool, collected, confident. He says, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go up. We're going to take possession of this land. We can certainly do it. All right. God said we can do it. Let's go do it. Next verse. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. Somebody say bad report. About the land they had explored. All right. Of 12 spies, two, that's Joshua and Caleb, they came back with a positive report. The other 10 had a negative but for everything. But they're powerful. But the walls are fortified. But the cities are strong. but, 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 but. but, but. Remember, though, the other 10 spies saw the exact same thing. And they said, yeah, 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 okay, sure. Yeah, the, the people are big. There are a bunch of Shaquille O'Neal's in there, okay? Get over it. Yeah, the walls are fortified. I mean, I've, I mean there's, there's Egyptian walls, and then there are Canaan walls. And these are awesome. And yes, the cities are spread out. There's a lot of them. There's going to be a lot of work. The road to abundant life is not going to be easy. It's a road less traveled, but it's a road that God has called us down nonetheless. Let's travel through it. Let's do this. Notice that these 12 spies, remember who we're dealing with. These are not your average Josephs. These are leaders of leaders. These are the best of the best, sir. These are like the Navy SEALs. And yet 10 of them are shaking in their boots. They're just so terrified. They know God's promise. They've seen the miracles he has done, and yet they are still afraid. Two positive reports, listen, rooted in faith, 10 negative reports rooted in fear. Which report prevailed? The bad report. Because you know bad news spreads so much faster than good news. Come on, somebody. Think about this. 10 guys infected the entire nation. 10. And they did it without the internet. They didn't have a Facebook platform. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have a MailChimp email blast. Just word of mouth. What does that tell me? It tells me negativity is more contagious than COVID. Mm. Lots of negativity going around. It's everywhere, all over the place. On TV, it's on social media. If if I leave myself to myself, there's gonna be negativity there too. It's everywhere. And some people are, man, they are just filled with it. I mean, they just walk around everywhere, (laughs) negative. Afraid I'm going to catch it. Keep your negativity to yourself. Negativity has lots of strands too, and it it really is a pandemic of unparalleled proportion. Look what it did to the nation of Israel. It caused them to stop and settle all this negativity. And what did negativity do? It led to fear. You're writing notes right now. Fear. That's the first roadblock we see that the nation of Israel faced. Fear. They were afraid. They were afraid. They're too big, they're too, they're too powerful. We, we can't attack them, it's over. It is a sad day when the problems we face are bigger than the God we serve. It's a sad day. They're too powerful for God. The wall's too fortified for God to break through. The cities are too, their cities are too widespread for God. It's a sad day. If we ever get to a point in time where any problem we face is too big for God. So what do we do to combat that? That fear that causes God to be very, very small and our problems to be very, very, very big. What do we do? We do what Caleb did. What did Caleb do? He spoke big faith over his problem. Big faith. We can do it. God is with us. Now I want to make sure that I'm making a very clear distinction because there can be some really twisted theology that you walk away with today if you don't hear the next few words crisp and crystal clear. I said you speak in big faith over your problem, not in big fake. Big faith, not big fake. Here's what big fake is. Just pretend like the problem isn't there. Oh, the people, they're not big, they're small. They're small little people. Oh, the walls, oh, I don't see any walls in sight. Oh, ran right into one. Oh, the cities, they're not widespread. They're not even cities at all. I'm not sick. (laughs) Inflation is not real. Ah! I'm not saying we speak in fake. I'm saying we speak in big faith. Here's what big faith is. It's acknowledging the size of the problem while also acknowledging the greater size of our God who has the solution to any problem that we face. Whether or not he actually pulls through, that's up to him. But That's where I trust his will is good, pleasing and perfect. We acknowledge the problem and we acknowledge the size of God. That's how we combat fear. That, that's what Caleb and Joshua did. Let me drop this one last thing about fear too. This is really important. Fear always attaches a butt to the back end of faith. I don't think you caught that. Fear always attaches a back end to faith. Here's what I mean. If you ever catch yourself making a faith declaration that's rooted in a promise of God, that's important, a promise of God, not, not in a hope that's not rooted in scripture, a promise of God, and then you find yourself saying, but just like that, remember, this is what they did. This is exactly what they said. I'll show you. They said, um, the, the land is flowing milk and honey, just like God said it would, but the people who live there are powerful. Let me give you a couple examples of that. Y- you might say something like this. I know this relationship that I'm in right now is toxic and it is not honoring God and God is telling me to to leave but I'm afraid of being alone. alone. I want to honor God with all of my resources. I want to give the first 10% to him but I'm afraid I won't have enough. I really know that I should forgive but I'm just worried they'll do it again. See, fear always attaches a butt to the back end of faith so you and I will back down. That's what fear does. It, it, it allows us to acknowledge the truth, but not walk in it. That's where they, they were. They were afraid. They knew they knew that God gave them this, this land, but they were, they were afraid. And then that fear spirals out of control, and we'll see how this is whenever the wheels really come off. Here's what happens next. They said... The land we explored devours everything. All the people we saw there are great size. We even saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak. They've come from the Nephilim. We seemed like, check this out, grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Grasshoppers? Grasshoppers? Are you kidding me right now? You see what happens when we let fear go unrestrained? Well We start using exaggerated hyperbolic language. The world's going to come to an end. It's all over. Better go buy up all that toilet paper again. See how this works? We're grasshoppers. Woe is me. Notice that the Canaanites did not call them grasshoppers. They called themselves grasshoppers. So what happened? Their fear turned into flawed thinking. Point number two, what's a roadblock that's gonna keep us from stepping into abundance and, and the life that God has for us is flawed thinking. I want you to know something about the way we think, that our thoughts both affect and direct our lives. They affect and direct the direction of our lives. The way that I think affects the way that I live. And so if I think of myself as a little grasshopper, I'm just not, I can't, I don't have, I I, I won't, then we're going to live a very small, skittish life. If we think, I just, I don't live in the right neighborhood and I don't have the right skills and, and I, I just didn't go to the, the, the right college. I didn't go to college at all. I don't have a social network. I don't know people like, like they know people. And and, and my parents didn't, didn't raise me to know God. And, and I don't, I can't, I'm not, I won't. All of those thoughts leads to a grasshopper mentality. God did not call you a grasshopper. We call ourselves grasshoppers. The enemy doesn't call us a grasshopper. We call ourselves a grasshopper. But if instead we have correct thinking, and if you know Jesus, you're not a grasshopper, you're a child of God. And the child of God mentality, Whoa, it looks a lot different. It doesn't say, I'm not, I can't, I don't have, I, 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 I won't. It says, I am, I have, I can, I will. Let me draw a distinction here. I am by no means making you a little God, by no means. Culture today says says to kids something that is so wrong. And that is, you're enough. You're enough, sweetheart, just the way you are. You're enough. No, you're not. No, I'm not. I love this this truth about Jesus. He loves me just the way I am, but loves me too much to leave me there. I'm not enough. I've never been enough. But greater is he who is, oh, in me. See, whenever I have my identity in Jesus, now I can confidently make these faith declarations thinking of myself the way God sees me. So I can say, instead of the grasshopper mindset that says, "I, I am not, I don't have, I can't, I won't. I can say, I am a child of God. First John 1.12 says that those who believe in Jesus, they call in his name, to them he gave the right to be adopted as children of God. I am a child of God. I have everything that I need to succeed. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I will do greater things which he prepared beforehand for me to do. Anything but that is flawed thinking. It's grasshopper mentality. So my question is, do you see yourself as a grasshopper or do you see yourself as a child of God? If it's a grasshopper, then that's a barrier that's going to stop you and me from actually walking in abundance, the kind of life that God really has for us. If you think of yourself as a grasshopper, it's probably because of the thoughts that you feed on. I was doing some research this week, and and I found that on average, men speak 20,000 words a day. I don't know how they came up with that. I don't know if if they were like, hey, let's go find a man who works at a call center and record his words, and then let's look like a professional mime. 20,000, okay, I don't know. 20,000 on average. Women, 30,000, 30,000 words. But then the research went a step further. It said, those are the words you say out loud, but the words you say to yourself, double it. So men, we on average say 40,000 words to ourselves, 40,000 thoughts of intelligible words or sentences. Women, at 60,000. So I had a hard time wrapping my mind around that. I'm thinking, how do you even quantify that, qualify that, what does that even mean? So then I just decided, well, I'm gonna research, like how many words are in an average 200 page book? You ready? The average 200 page book, and I looked at my shelf and I got lots of books, and, and a lot of them are 200, 150, 250, 200 pages, it contains 50,000 words. This is shocking. That tells me that we tell ourselves a book every day. Every day. So then you have to ask the question well, then what story are you telling yourself? Because our thoughts that we have become the lives that we live if we feed on them. God is very concerned about our thought life. He's very concerned. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. In, in Romans 12, the Lord says, be transformed by a renewal of your mind. Something's got to change. We've got to change that flaw to grasp up our thinking. He also goes on to say in Colossians 3, set your mind on things from above so I don't get caught up in the nonsense, the things that don't really matter compared to the kingdom of God. He also says in Philippians 4, whatever is right, true, noble, pure, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think of those things. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says that, that we need to take every single thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Here's what that means. If a thought comes to my mind, I'm not, I can't, I won't, I don't, I, I won't. A thought that is opposite of God's truth. I have to recognize it for what it is, and I have to then take it and throw it in prison and walk o- lock away the key, or it will keep me in prison too, and keep me from stepping into the promise that God has for my life. We have to protect our thoughts, because the things we think determine the lives that we live. In the nation of Israel, they're afraid. They have flawed thinking, and then let's see what ends up happening at the next stage. That night all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept out loud. Okay, so at first it's just 10 negative spies. And now the whole congregation is affected. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if we'd only died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children, they'll be taken as plunder too. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. It's finally beginning to sink in. The life they thought they would have is not coming to pass. They're not where they want to be. I don't know if you can relate to that. So what did they do? They blamed their leaders. Whose fault is it that we are where we are? And who, you guys, Moses, Aaron, the pastors, it's y'all's fault. We tend to do this too, that if our lives aren't the way we want them to be, we look at everyone else except for ourselves. We blame everybody but ourselves. I'll give you a couple, couple of examples. You know, if, if, if I had a better boss, I'd already be promoted by now. If I, if I had a pastor who preached better, I'd have a stronger relationship with God. If, if my coach was smart, he'd have put me in, I'd have got more playing time and I'd finally be playing at the University of Texas. Hook him, we got a big game today. If my spouse would only parent the kids the way he or she is supposed to, well then my kids would be less like chumps and more like cherubs. Come on somebody. We tend to blame everybody but ourselves. And that's exactly what they did. I would rather that we adopt David's philosophy. David found himself in a very tough spot. And in Psalm 139, listen to what David said. When his life just wasn't abundant, it wasn't as great as he hoped it would have been. Listen to Psalm 139, verse 23. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So what was David saying? He's saying, if if my life is not uh, going the way that I wish it would, I'm not, I'm going to resist the temptation to blame other people because that, that's out of my control. I said, I'm going to look inward first. So, so maybe I say, God, maybe... Maybe it's me. Maybe you're waiting on me. Maybe I need to wake up earlier and read my Bible so that way I can have God's word circulating my mind. I can have it as a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Maybe I need to be the one that actually puts in a little bit more work um, at at the office. Maybe it's me. Maybe I need to forgive first. Maybe I need to say sorry first. It starts with me, not them. But that's not what they did. They blamed Aaron and Moses. And later on, they're like, you know what? Let's just, let's kill Joshua and Caleb. Their face too big. And don't you know that when someone is walking in faith, someone who doesn't want to walk in faith, doesn't like it. We got to get those those faith-filled Joshua and Caleb out of here because they're speaking the mysteries of God. They're they're walking in truth and it's it's making me feel uncomfortable. I don't like it that there are people who are living their best life and and I'm just sitting here with this grasshopper mentality. We got to get rid of them. Misery loves company. And then they blame God. God, you must not care about us. Your your plan, I know you promised that you would give us this land, but I wonder if maybe that was just a trick. maybe, Maybe where I am in my life right now, you've led me here only so I can die by the sword. He started to blame God. We have a tendency to do that too. Instead of looking at ourselves or asking, maybe this barrier is something that God has put in place to test my resolve so I can break through it and have a bigger faith on the other side. They blamed leaders, they blamed God, and then what they do? They said they wanna go back to Egypt. Are you kidding me right now? You wanna go back to Egypt? Where you were slaves? You wanna go back to brick making? There's nothing there for you. Why do we wanna go back to the patterns of our past? Why would we wanna go back to a broken relationship? Why would we wanna go back to a bad habit? Why would we wanna go back to bondage? When we can step into the blessing, what are we doing? I tell you what happens. It's when we forget. Point number three, forgetfulness. It's when we forget. Forget two things. We forget how bad our past was and how good our future with God really is. We tend to romanticize our past. I don't, I don't know. Um, both in the good and the bad. Like for the good, I remember in high school, I was an, I was an elite athlete. I was athlete. I was amazing. I mean, incredible. I was faster than everybody, strong than everybody. But That's not true. Well, I went to Foster Ridge High School. Go Panthers, any, any, anybody? One, figures. <laughs> Foster Ridge, well, it was nice. It was big, beautiful, clean, incredible. I went back there recently, drove past it. It was not as big as I remember not as beautiful, and definitely not as clean. Some of that's because of time, but other of it is because I romanticized how great it was. It wasn't that great. It wasn't that great. We also do that with bad things. Well, I mean, yeah, he treated me like garbage, but it's normal and it's what's comfortable. See, the the Israelites, they wanted to go back to normal even though it was toxic. They forgot how bad their past really was. Listen to me. Your past is never as good as your future in Jesus. Never. We're not gonna live in the past. That's exactly what the devil wants. He knows if I can't keep you from being saved, then I'm gonna at least keep you from stepping out in faith. I'm gonna sideline you. And if I can keep you living in the pain of the past, you will never step into the promise of your future. So they wanna go back. Can't go back. They also forgot how good God's future really is. He said, this land is for them. Listen, God has said that abundant life is there for the taking. It's there for us when we truly know him, we listen to his voice and we follow him fully. Let us not forget all that he has done. The devil will remind you of a few good laughs that we had, but he'll never remind us of the tears of brokenness that you shed holding on that steering wheel, crying out to God that he provides a way and he did it. He'll never remind you of that. We must never forget how God led them out of slavery and captivity. He provided for them biscuits in the morning and bird at night. He provided water through a rock, a pillar of fire at night to guide them, a cloud by day. The Lord is Jehovah Jireh. We just sang about that a moment ago. He is their provider. He is our provider and he will do it again. If he did it, then he'll do it again. We can't forget. But they did. They were fearful. They had flawed thinking. They forgot about how bad their past was, how good their future in God really is. And so what they do? They settled, just settled. Little did they know that choosing to settle makes you more unsettled. They had to wander, the desert for 40 years, and every single one of them died in the desert, wandering, except for those who were under the age of 20, and Joshua and Caleb, the men of big faith. They all died. I mean, the desert is littered with corpses. Here's what's fascinating about that. Can you put that scripture back on the screen? Put that put, 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 put back up there. Listen to what they said in verse two. He said, if we had only died in Egypt or in the wilderness, what happened to him? They died in the wilderness. That tells me that God very well may give us the future that matches the level of our faith. We've got to believe God for bigger things. We've got to choose the road that is less traveled, the road of abundant life, of knowing God, listening to his voice, follow him fully. I'm not going to let fear be my God. I'm going to acknowledge the problem, but I'm going to acknowledge God is bigger than that problem. I am not going to have flawed thinking. I am remind myself of who I am in Christ, and I'm not going to forget what he's done. Lord, help me never forget the goodness that you've shown me that I'm not worthy of. And because you were good to me in the past, you'll be good to me in the future. And even if he slay me, as Job said, I will still praise you. Don't make it more difficult than it is. Here's my takeaway for today. You ready? This is it. Every day, do one thing that requires faith. Don't make it complicated. Years ago, I probably would have said, okay, get your list out. You need to, you need to pray more. You need to fast. You need to read your Bible. You need to memorize the scripture. You need to go witness to people. You need to serve in met kids. Please serve in met kids. You need to do all these things. And then you have abundance. But see, if I give you a big old list, you're gonna go, pfft, I know. Just one thing. One thing that requires faith every day. We can all do that. Maybe it's just waking up a little bit earlier and reading a couple of verses of scripture. That took faith to believe that God's making a deposit in your soul that is going to benefit you later in the day. Maybe it's that you are the first one to say sorry to your spouse instead of you know, giving them the silent treatment. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, you're, you're gonna be generous and you're gonna give, you're gonna sow into someone else's life in faith. Do one thing every day that requires faith. It's a roadless traveled it's one God has called us down and it leads to abundance. It leads to us reaching our potential to us experiencing God's promises and taking possession thereof. Let me leave you with this last verse in Matthew seven. Jesus says, wide is the road. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. Many will enter it. Narrow is the road that leads to life. Few will find it. Please let you and your family be the few that says yes to Jesus, truly knowing God through faith in him, listening to his voice, and following him fully so you can have life abundantly now and eternal life later. Every day, do one thing that requires faith. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I, I pray that everyone today heard you speak to them in very unique ways. You, you know where we are and what we need at all times. And so I pray, God, that hearts are stirred, to be able to take a step of faith, whatever that may be, to move closer to the promised land, the, the life of abundance, of blessing that you have for all of us who know Jesus. And I pray that there's anyone out here today that doesn't know you, God, that they would reach out with their voice and say, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God who died on the cross for my sins, and rose again on the third day, I give you my life, and I will follow you the rest of my days. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.